Welcome to the Spinster Life Podcast. I'm Amy, and today I am joined by Rachel Burns. She is a financial planner. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. You are so welcome. So today, obviously, we are going to be talking about money. Rachel, why don't you tell us a little bit about your business and who you primarily work with? Sure. So I am a certified financial planner and certified divorce financial analyst, and I have a firm called True Worth Financial Planning, and I help newly single women get their finances back on track either after a divorce or after a death of a spouse. So I just work with women. I just work with single women. And I pretty much just work with newly single women, although I do work with some women that have been single for a long time as well. (laughs) So my passion is helping women in transition. It doesn't have to be a divorce or death of a spouse. We, We all have transitions where even if they're technically good transitions, it's a kind of a stressful time. There's a lot of change. And it can mean a lot of changes for your finances as well. So even women, yeah, women going through a retirement or their kids moving out of the house or their parents pass away or whatever, there's all sorts of life transitions that warrant taking a closer look at your finances and reassessing your situation. And how did you get into working with single women? So I started off just working with everyone. I've been in the business for a long time, maybe like 14 or 15 years, but I started off just working with whoever had money because that's how it works with the big investment firms. You just work with whoever meets the minimums. They had to have a certain amount of money to be able to even open an account with this. So I didn't have a specialty just because it wasn't really set up that way. And as you can imagine, that wasn't quite as fulfilling working with people who just had a bunch of money and that's the only qualification. But I always found that whenever I worked with women who came to us after a divorce or after the death of a spouse, I always found that to be the most satisfying type of client to help. And I felt like they were the most grateful to have the help and I could help them in ways that other advisors couldn't help them just because it's coming from another woman. I can relate to them on a little bit different way. My communication style is different. I just really felt this connection to women in transition. And so that was my unofficial niche for several years. But then when I had the opportunity to go out on my own and start my own firm, I could decide that's all I want to work with. And that's up to me. And and so I I did it. I, I committed to just working with women. And it's been that way ever since. It's just been fantastic. And this is one reason that I wanted to speak with you about money is that women do have different needs and they do approach it differently. And they have different backgrounds are coming at money from a completely different place than a lot of men are. Yes. And we will definitely get into all of that because yes. you're not really just a financial planner. You're kind of like a financial guide, really. Yes. You exactly. Are- like a like a financial Sherpa. <laughs> <laughs> but you're there's not no, one is- there's not one mountain that you can get to the top of because no one's financial goals are going to be the same and no one's financial situation is going to look the same. Oh yeah. Which is also sort of crazy in that, you know, in the way that you started working with people at the big financial firms that you're working with people from so many different backgrounds. Like how are, how can you know about every situation? Why don't you tell us a little bit more about like how you develop that expertise around helping single women? Sure. Before I specialized in women, I was just dealing with a lot of wealthy married couples basically, because that's who had a bunch of money. But even in that niche, so to speak, there's still so many different 
situations, their different goals, some of them inherited money, some of them made a bunch of money, some of them spend a lot of money, some of them don't spend any, you just you just get to know all these different situations. And so over time, I kind of collected all of this information on all these experiences that I had with these clients. And, and then when I started, you know, I'd work with these women who are on their own for the first time making financial decisions on their own. And then there's some kind of commonalities in that. But then again, there's each one of their situations is different. And so over the years, and after being in the business for that long, I've accumulated all sorts of completely random experiences and stories and different clients that I've worked with. And what's nice about that is when I meet someone who is like, okay, I'm just now starting this process of getting my finances back together, back on track or whatever. I have seen people in a similar situation and I've seen 20 years into the future, 30 years into the future, I've seen what the long-term looks like for that person. I mean, obviously it's going to be a little bit different, but it gives me a little bit of ability to predict their future. You know, obviously I can't tell what the market's going to do. I can't tell what the world's going to do, but I can tell you like, okay, if you are saving this much money and you are doing these things, this is what happens. I've seen it. I've seen it myself. I'm not just making stuff up, you know, this advice I'm giving them. I'm, I've actually seen that play out in front of my eyes and I can help them not make the same mistakes that clients did, or I can help them fast track their learning so that they know what they need to do, basically. It just gives me a different perspective. You can take your knowledge and apply it and maybe use it a little bit differently to someone in a different situation. So if a client comes to you, how do you get started working with them? What does that look like? So I typically take them through a similar process each time because it just I've done it a million times like this, and it seems to work really well, no matter what the deal is. So we start by identifying what their goals are. I don't care about any of their financial data until we talk about what are we trying to accomplish? What do you want to accomplish with your life? What do you want your finances to be like in order to support that life? What do you want out of working with me? Like we just talk about goals, big picture. And then we try to get, we start as big picture as we can, and then we get more specific. And and then that once we have those goals established, that's going to guide the rest of our time together. And then after that, then we start gathering all their information because they really need to understand where they are currently. They need to know what they have in terms of assets, what they have in terms of debts, what their income looks like, what their insurance policies look like. We have to get all of that information together so that we know exactly where they stand. And that's the most labor intensive part for the client, but it's super important for people to know. I would say most people have no idea where they stand. And that's not a bad thing. It's just your financial life is complex and it's hard to keep track of that many moving pieces. But it is really important once in a while to bring it all together and look at it and be like, okay, this is where I stand financially. And we just talked about our goals. So I know where I am now. I know where I want to be. And now we can figure out how we're going to get there. What does that relationship look like after that initial conversation? Are you speaking with your clients every year, every quarter? So I work with people in a couple of different ways. I do have some ongoing clients where we have an indefinite relationship and we have like I'll manage investments for them and we'll meet and do annual reviews or semi-annual reviews. And then I'm just available in between those meetings for whatever questions or issues come up. That's a part of my business. But then another part of my business is strictly the the planning part. So I, it doesn't involve me managing their accounts because I like to be able to work with people who don't have 
money that needs to be managed. Not everyone has an account full of money that's like, oh my gosh, please help me with all my money. Like that's not, (laughs) that's not every case, shockingly. Um, So I have, (laughs) so I have plenty of clients who are like, hey, I'm starting out or I'm starting over. What do I need to do? Then I have a separate service model that I have for them. And that's where we go through that process. And it takes about six months and we have a series of meetings. There's like five main meetings and we have an agenda for each meeting and we get all these things done so that we have a good plan and I can send them on their way and they can carry out that plan without me. And what's, what's nice about that is again, you don't have to have a minimum amount of money or whatever, but also like I'm helping them get on track so that they don't need me going forward. I'm trying to get them to feel independent and get them to feel empowered to manage their own finances. So really my goal in that process is like, let's get you everything you need, you know, everything that you need to know in order to do this on your own and feel comfortable doing this on your own so that you can go forth and be independent and do this without me. And I'm always here if you have questions or if you want to come back and do a review or whatever, but I really like to help them feel as independent as possible. And this is kind of where we get into the societal expectations and the societal views of money. It's rude to talk about money. It's not something you you shouldn't admit that you need help with it. You feel like you're bad with money because you don't know all these little financial details or you know you haven't taken economics 101 and you don't have a master's degree in economics. Yeah, what are some of the attitudes that you see and that you're hearing from women when they're coming in and they need help from you? So Money is a very emotional topic, good or bad. Everyone seems to have their own like baggage and their own history with money. We were all raised a certain way around money. Either our parents talked about it or didn't talk about it, or we had none of it, or we had a bunch of it or whatever. But everyone has these like deep rooted money issues that we're not even necessarily aware of that we carry on into adulthood. And that impacts the way that we look at money as adults. It, it, it just, that's just how it is. And I've seen all across the board, people's baggage that they bring to the <laughs> table with money. I would say for the majority of us, we did not grow up having conversations about money with our parents or with our teachers or whoever was oh, responsible God, no. for passing this information along to us. It's really unusual to hear someone who's like, oh yeah, my parents like talked to me about budgeting when I was 13 and they got me this credit card. Like that's not really normal. And as a result, by the time people get into adulthood and they haven't had that part of their formal education and they haven't had those conversations with their parents, they feel totally clueless and they feel like I should know these things, but I don't. And now I feel bad about it. And there's a lot of shame. There's a lot of embarrassment, but none of us really were taught that it's, it's just not part of this, the education process. As far as I know, it was it certainly wasn't when I was a kid. No, but no, me neither. It, So what I try to encourage people to remember is if you don't feel up to speed on this, or if you feel totally clueless, it's not your fault. It's totally not your fault that no one talked about it to you and no one brought it up and your parents had their own issues and didn't want to talk to you about it or whatever. That's not your fault. And you don't need to feel bad about whatever has happened in the past with that. But at the same time, 
it is your responsibility now as an adult to decide which way you're going to go with that. You can either continue to be like, oh, I just never learned and I'm not ever going to learn and I'm just going to be hopeless or, you know, I'm going to take the steps that I need to take in order to get a grip on this and take control of my finances. So you can do that. You just have to choose to do that. And it doesn't matter what kind of background you have. It's never too late. You're never hopeless. You can always choose to learn what you need to, to, to know to, to take this on going forward. So there's no like cutoff. There's no ideal age. The ideal age is now. The ideal age is whatever age you are now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and obviously earlier is better. If you can start investing when you're five years old, then yeah, you're going to be really, you're going to be in pretty good shape. But like, there is no age where it's like, up. Oh, there's no point. Don't even bother <laughs> saving money. Just, just give up. Like it's never too late, but the earlier you start, the easier it's going to be going forward and the less the less like drastic measures you're going to have to take in order to get on track. I love that you give that to your clients, that permission to accept that you weren't taught about money, you don't know something, but also that you have the capability to learn something, you have the capability to take ownership over this, you have the capability to change your future, you can yeah. have the life that you want. And it's not as complicated as everyone makes it out to be. It can be as simple as budgeting and putting money in places that are going to help you in the future. It's easy for me to say, oh, just like, just do it. It's just learn it. But <laughs> because I've been doing it for like a gazillion years, but like, I totally understand how overwhelming that seems to someone who has not been doing that. Like if you have not had to manage finances or, or do any of that stuff. I totally get how overwhelming and scary that looks. But I do want to encourage people don't think, oh my gosh, I have to learn how to invest in my 401k and I need to learn about Bitcoin. Don't worry about the, the stuff that you hear in the news is like not you need to start really basic. You don't need to master all of these different areas. You do not need to have a master's degree in economics. Like you don't even need to think about economics at all. Just start with the extreme basics. Start with budgeting. I think that's the most basic part. Just start getting a grip on what you're saving, what you're spending, what you're making. And then you can build on that. Once you once you get your budgeting under control, then you can think about saving more and then you can think about investing that savings or whatever. But just start super small. Don't look at any of the other stuff. It'll just overwhelm you. But master one tiny little piece and then go on to the next piece and just take that super incremental approach. And I think it's going to be a lot less overwhelming. And also, you, there's just stuff that you just don't need to worry about. And and I know it's hard to know, well, what do I need to know? If I'm just yeah. starting out, what do I need to know? That's hard. But don't try to like learn it all at once. Just look at your most urgent need and your most urgent goal and just start there. And if you need help with that, because it, that's, that is a big undertaking. I'm not going to like dismiss how big and scary this can be, but you can get help. You know, you can get someone to get you started and, and get you on the right track and to help you understand what you need to know. You don't have to have a gazillion dollars to get a financial advisor. Like you can hire someone to help you on an hourly basis. You can find someone that does pro bono work. You can get someone who will be happy to to talk to you and help you. And you so don't I, have I to don't... go to a big firm either, do you? Right, right, exactly. And I probably encourage you not to. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're if you're just starting out and if you don't have a bunch of money, then yeah, you're probably not going to want to go to like a giant firm. They're probably not going to 
want to take your call unless you have <laughs> many not. hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> it is so good to know. I think that is one other barrier to people and especially women getting financial advice like, oh, I don't have enough money to even warrant this. It's I'm not my money isn't important enough for me to go and get advice on it or have someone else look at it or someone else take the time to think about my finances. Yeah. And I hear a lot of people say just that like, oh, I don't have enough money to warrant this or that. And it's like, yeah, you might not have enough money to be on the radar of some big time Merrill Lynch advisor. No offense, Merrill Lynch. I used to work for Merrill Lynch. Um, (laughs) But like, yeah, there's going to be some people where you're going to be priced out of that market. The industry is so much more than just these giant investment firms. The industry has all sorts of independent advisors like me who work in all sorts of different ways. It's not just, I just manage investments and I'm going to charge you a percentage of the amount that I'm managing. There's so many other ways of helping people now that there's like all these different types of advisors that I'm sure you can find one that's going to be a good fit for you. You're never too small. You're never too unimportant. Everyone needs this kind of help and you can find someone who works with people just like you. I love all of this advice. It's so down to earth. I cuz I think that is like something that we've all been told like you're doing money wrong or you're spending too much, you're reckless with your money. What do you think of Dave Ramsey? So <laughs> I don't listen to a ton of it. I hear things that he says that my mom repeats to me and she cuz she likes to challenge me. Oh, <laughs> Well, well, Dave Ramsey said this, and I'm like, okay, you're listening to the radio, and that is intended to reach an audience of however million people or whatever. I'm giving you advice that is totally tailored to you, and I know every single bit about you. It's very hard to give advice that's like intended for the whole world. So you have to think about who is his target audience. What's their, what does their financial situation look like? He's trying to give advice that's generic enough that applies to all these people. I'm not picking on Dave Ramsey. This is just, you can't, you can't a little bit. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) It's anytime you're taking advice from someone who is like a personality like that, or like someone who is selling books or someone who has a show or whatever, like they they have an audience that they're trying to appeal to. I, I, I see people who don't fit into that typical person that's part of that target market. Like maybe they don't fall into the normal profile and maybe they have a more complicated situation. Maybe they have a higher income or whatever. And some of that advice does not apply to them. Like I've heard Susie Orman give advice that I'm like, nope, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that at all. Like, yeah, maybe the average person. It's so shame-based. She just, she had that show where callers called in and they'd say like, I want like a vacation or something. And she would shame them, publicly (laughs) humiliate them and tell them that they were being ridiculous. There is so much shame with money. Yeah. And that's not helping. That's, I mean, it's like, what are you trying to actually accomplish by shaming them? You have to think about how your message is coming across and how it's going to be received. And if you do it in such a way that no one wants to listen to you or everyone just feels so bad listening to you, they're not going to take your advice. Yeah. Her delivery might be a little off, but I think it's a lot off. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You just have to know that your particulars matter. You are very different than anyone else. And you need to be careful when you're taking advice 
that may or may not be intended for someone like you. So Dave Ramsey, like he, he says some things that I like, but again, it just gets a little oversimplified when you're like trying to give mass advice to people. Yeah, I, I just have a problem with his no debt approach. And I'm not yeah. saying like debt is a wonderful thing. If I could not support any of the banks through debt, I would happily do so. But I just think it's completely out of touch to deprive yourself of any experiences while you're trying to pay down debt. It's not realistic to not take on like a car loan or something, especially yeah. in, in many rural areas. There isn't public transportation. You need a car and you need a reliable car and you might not be able to afford a car yeah. that out of the out of pocket that runs well and can yeah. reliably get you to where you need to be so you can keep that job so you can keep paying for everything. Yeah. Out of touch is the perfect way to describe that <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, it's easy to say just don't ever use debt, but it's like, okay, do you think he, do you think he could pay cash for whatever he would possibly want to buy today? Like he could probably pay cash. So he, he probably kind of, for, he probably forgets that people rely on debt to, not just do really silly, expensive things, but like survive and, you know, like do extremely <laughs> basic things. So yeah, it's just, that's why it's so hard to give advice to all these people at once when it's doesn't, it doesn't apply to everyone. I just don't, I don't, I don't really like, I don't know. I say that, I say that I don't like generalized advice. And then I go on like Instagram and, and to tell people, oh, here's the top 10 ways you could do this. But <laughs> I, I try to be so hyper aware of who does this not apply to? How can I make sure that they don't misunderstand this? I, I feel like I'm really cautious about giving advice. Like I really try not to give advice that doesn't apply to everyone. And if I am giving advice, I try to over explain myself like, hey, this might not apply to you. Check with your tax yeah. professional. Or t- like, I try to cover my cover myself a little bit there. I don't know. I think that yeah, <laughs> you are you are not announcing. I'm right. This is the only way to do things. This is the only way that it could ever be. You are just saying here are some options. Here are some things to think here's about. Here's some tips. Here's yeah. some stuff that I've done. You're you know here's some things that I've seen have worked. Right. Um. I think not that's like, too. Like you are working so hands on. You've seen these things work. So it's not. Dave Ramsey or Susie Orman just shouting into the void. You're working with people, you're seeing results, and yeah. you are giving advice based on the results that you have seen in practice. Yeah, yeah. And to their credit, they've seen a lot in their practice. But here's a great example. My husband <laughs> and I were like at a hotel and the TV was on because we don't have TV at home. So I get really excited when I see <laughs> anything on TV when I'm in the hotel. And he, he turned on Susie Orman and she's like, annuities are bad. And anyone who sells you an annuity is bad. And I was like, Oh, no, she didn't. And I was so <laughs> pissed because I'm like, Okay, yeah, annuities are a very complex financial product that are very commonly misunderstood, and commonly misused by financial advisors, because there are annuities that pay a lot more than certain other financial products. So sometimes there is an incentive for advisors to uh, recommend them when it's not necessarily the wrong thing. So they have been misused. Lots of things have been misused and it doesn't make them bad. It's just a tool. Tools can be used. You can have an inappropriate tool. You, If you are trying to screw in a screw, if I gave you a hammer, that's not particularly helpful, but that doesn't make hammers bad. I don't know why I went to like construction for my analogy. <laughs> I think it's a great, it's a good <laughs> metaphor. <laughs> um <laughs> 
It's funny. It's funny because I know nothing about construction, but um, <laughs> well, you knew that. You knew <laughs> I, that. I know <laughs> screws versus nails. I know that. So where was I going with that? Oh, so annuities. Annuities are a tool. They can be used in properly for sure, but that doesn't make them bad. And that doesn't make them inappropriate for every single person. And that certainly doesn't make every advisor who recommends them a bad person. That is such an overgeneralization. That's like infuriating to me. Not that I'm trying to protect annuities because it, but annuities are just annuities. They're not bad or good. Right. You're just, and you're just, you're also kind of advice. Yeah. It's, it's like setting up a bad relationship to like, if you are watching Susie Orman and she says this and your financial advisor just said, how about annuities? And all of a sudden you kind of don't trust that person. And then like, where, where are you? You're in this relationship and you're like, well, I don't know if I can trust them, but I don't know. Yeah. I, but I still need advice. So like, what, what do I do? Where do I turn? Yeah. Yeah. And meanwhile, the advisor who might have recommended an annuity to you, maybe they recommended it because you have a genuine need for guaranteed income and for all these other features that an annuity offers that other products don't offer. I mean, that advisor probably knows a lot about you. Susie Orman is just some lady that's on the TV. She's not talking to you even like... She's just loud. She's not talking to you. She's just loud. Yeah. (laughs) She's yelling at you through the TV. (laughs) (laughs) I hope she doesn't get mad if she's listening to this. Do you think she listens to your show? I probably don't think she does, (laughs) but maybe she should start listening. I'm going to send her this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Take that, Susie. I love it. So we just said, I don't really, I don't love giving generalized tips. What so let's are, give some generalized so let's tips. Give some generalized let's tips. Get it. Yes, because certainly, certainly you have them. Certainly, that is what the listeners have been waiting for. Is something yeah. that they can do. How about we start there? What's like one thing that you can do today? A very easy thing that can kind of set you in the right direction. I think one thing you can start on that'll make you feel really productive is gathering your financial information. This is something that really everyone needs to do. And I, I need to do this. I like everyone needs to be reminded of this. Um, and there's all different tools that you can use to help you organize this information. Like you could always just get a binder and stick all your statements in it and stuff. But I don't know. I feel like I there's a lot online now. You could use a tool like mint.com or something like that, that, that like aggregates all of your accounts and it'll show you all of your bank accounts, any investment accounts, any debts that you have. Whatever tool works best for you if it's high tech or low tech, whatever. But I think working on pulling together all of your financial information is such a huge step in the right direction. And you don't have to do it all at once. As monthly statements come in, you could just start filing them away or whatever. But I think starting that organization system will just help you get in touch with where you are currently with your finances. Because some people have no idea I have no idea what my net worth, I have no idea what, how, many, how much I have in assets, or I have no ma- idea how much I have in debt. And just having that awareness can, that, a lot of times that's enough to, to get people to change their behavior without feeling like, oh, I have to spend less, or I have to do this. Just being aware can cause a change in your behavior without you even like realizing it. So I think very, that's a, that's a, very that's an subtle, easy thing you can start. Yeah, you can, you can manipulate yourself into being... <laughs> getting towards your getting closer to your financial goals. Um, Well, and it's not just manipulating yourself. But like, if I am going out and shopping, and not even realizing that I have any debt or whatever, you know, if I if I knew 
how much money I actually had, maybe I wouldn't, maybe I just think twice about it. It's, it's um, just being more aware is such an important thing to do with your finances. Yeah. Yeah. That is a very simple and actionable thing that people can do. Let's go mid range. What is something so like you've gathered all your documents, you have a budget, you have some savings. What is like a something kind of the middle range that you can do something that's sort of safe, but also might get you a little return? So if you have your bases covered, so you have an emergency fund, you have a savings account, you have a cushion in your checking account, you're good to go. Like that's like the first step. Once you've gotten that down, then you can start thinking about what's next. What am I saving for next? What's my goals? Am I saving for retirement? Am I saving for buying a house or whatever? Identifying what your goal is and saving for that goal specifically is kind of the next level that requires a little bit more planning. But once you start saving for specific goals, then you can figure out, okay, what's the best way to invest that money? Is it to keep it in savings? Is it to invest it in something that's kind of low risk? Or is it something, you know, that I don't, I don't intend to touch this money for a long time, therefore, I can invest part of it in the market or whatever, then you start getting into once you have the immediate needs nailed down, then you can start planning for the future, which which get it's, it, that part gets a little more complicated. This is a show for single women. What are some things that single women in particular, whether they're newly single, or whether they've always been single, what are some things that they have to think about more than someone who is not single? So when you're single, it's just you, it's up to you to keep track of where you are and where you're going. It's easy to delegate that task to someone if you're in a relationship, but when it's just you, you are the one responsible for your finances. And that's, it's a big responsibility, but I think it's empowering when you look at it, like, this is my responsibility and I have control over it. I think just like deciding that this is something I, I, I can control and I'm going to take the steps that I need to do that. I think just like that attitude shift is a lot of times the first thing that you should do just so that you don't feel like, Oh my gosh, I'm so powerless against this like big money machine. Like it seems like you're set up to fail with like all the stuff that you hear about banks. The financial world seems very scary, but you have to just know like, this is my responsibility. I'm going to face the dragon. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you just gotta, you just gotta get a little bit brave, but just know like this, that's what it takes to get to where you want to go. You need to have a plan. You can't just be winging it. Why don't we talk about how to even set goals? Because I think when people hear the word goals, they think a dollar amount. How do you really set financial goals? So when I am starting to work with someone and I'm helping them identify their goals, I don't start necessarily with the financial goals. I like to find out what are your goals for your life. And that's not an easy thing to answer, obviously. But if someone is like, you know what, I just want to make enough to be comfortable. And I want to be able to travel. And I want to be able to spend time with my parents back east or whatever. Everyone has these things that are important to them. Like what are what are your values? What do you what do you want to do with yourself? And then once you kind of have that figured out, then you know, okay, what type of financial situation do I need to have in order to support that? It's really hard to set the financial goals before you think about what it is you want to achieve. But once you do that, 
eventually you do need to set some dollar amounts and you do need to set some timeframes because you need to be specific enough about your goals so that you know when you've achieved them. Because if you're like, I want to be wealthy, if that's your goal, what what does that mean? What Right. How do you know when how do you know when you've gotten there? I mean, is that a million dollars? Is that ten million dollars? Is that a hundred thousand dollars? Like you do have to get specific enough to so that you can measure your progress towards that goal. But it's not the dollars that you start with. You don't start with, I want to have a million dollars. It's like, well, what do you want to do with a million dollars? Do you wanna donate it? Do you wanna go on trips? Do you wanna buy a RV? Like do you want to keep it in cash and roll around in it naked all the time? Like, yes, right, what do you, what do you that's want? what I want to do. <laughs> that's my uh, goal. It's such a helpful way to reframe thinking about goals. It's not, it isn't the dollar amount. It's like, what do you want? What do you want from your life? And yeah. it is, it's not something that you maybe think about every day in such concrete terms of like making this life for yourself. But it's also empowering to know that you have the power to sit down, make a few decisions, think about what you want, and you have the power to make that happen in in the future. And you don't have to figure out your whole life plan. You don't have to sit down and be like, okay, this is my goal for the rest of my life. Like, it's something you have to think about for a while. And it's something that changes. So my goals for my life are very different now than they were a few years ago. This is not set in stone. This is something that will change and you will need to adapt your plan. But I think it's good to always be thinking like, what's the point of all this? What am I doing this for? What am I hoping to achieve? I think that's something you should be asking yourself often. Yeah, I think that makes it much easier to do as well. If you know why you're doing it, like if you know why you're working 70 hours a week, it yeah, you probably shouldn't be doing that. That's not a great work life balance. But you know, if that's in your plan to do that for five years and and save up a lot of money so that you can have the lifestyle that you want. Yeah, then that's totally reasonable. But you know why you're doing it. And you know what you're trying to accomplish. And then you don't feel so lost. Like I have all of this money coming in. And what do I do with it? You know what you're doing with it. You know where it goes. You know, you know, what what you can spend and what you can't spend what you need to put away. Yeah, Yeah, it's such a it's just such a different way than we view money. Money isn't just the dollar bills and the and the decibel points. It's really about the experiences and what can you having, do with it? What can you yeah. do with it? Having the life that you want, buying a house, buying property, starting a business, any of these major life things. It's very empowering to know that you can plan for it and that you can make it happen. Yeah. And I think talking about money seems less distasteful when you think of it like that. Like you're not talking about money like, oh, I'm just trying to stack up money so that I can, you know, take pictures and put it on Instagram. It's, right. like, <laughs> it's like, maybe I maybe I want to save money so that I can help my parents when they're elderly. Or maybe I want to save money so that I can donate to my favorite charity every year. And it doesn't have to be this distasteful thing. It's Money's not all about buying stuff. It's about what you can accomplish with that money. Right. You know, you hear of people who they're just very, very, very frugal. I would call them cheap. I would go so far as to say that they will deprive themselves of things. They will dumpster dive for food when they don't have to. And they have all of this money, but they don't spend it on anything. They don't spend it on anything that enriches their lives. They don't spend it on people in their community. I guess they could have a plan to spend it later, but some people, it does just seem like the accumulation of wealth is the goal. 
And there is nothing beyond that. There is just how, how big can my bank account get? Sometimes it's fear. It's fear of running out or fear of like they're saving out of fear. There's a lot of weird stuff that explains money behaviors. You, you never know what's going on under the surface. Maybe they've, maybe their parents were really poor and now they're super neurotic about saving money because they're, they're just like, oh my gosh, I, I don't want to end up like them. So I, I'm not going to spend a dollar. I mean, that's not necessarily a good thing if that's no. if you're spending or if you're saving out of fear. And I think having financial literacy, knowing what you can do with your money, knowing, you know, how to protect your money is a way to remove some of that fear and to yeah. Live, yeah. live a little bit of more of a free life. Yeah, absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit more about like why women are so underrepresented in the financial space and and why it can be so intimidating for women to start talking about money or even work in the financial field. Yeah, there's a lack of representation at a lot of different levels. In my industry, obviously a very male-dominated industry, and I think part of that is explained by some systemic gender inequality stuff that's like a bigger issue that's not my area of expertise, but what I also see is a lot of misunderstanding about what financial careers entail. I think when someone thinks of a financial advisor, they think of a 60-year-old man in a suit with a briefcase and, you know, white hair and like buying and selling stocks on the exchange all day. Like I think I think people have this vision in their head of what that is, which there, there are plenty of of sixty something year old guys out there. I mean, that's right. definitely that's that's a real thing. But there's so many other careers that look so different than that that are in the same industry. Like I'm a financial planner, financial advisor, and I don't buy and sell stocks all day. I do planning where I work one-on-one with someone, talk about their goals, get stuff organized, come up with a plan for their future. That's not what you would probably think of when you think of financial advisor. I also, I'm also not 60 and not a guy and my hair is not white, but that's because I color my hair. But um, (laughs) like there are, (laughs) there are, it's not all just old school financial advisors. So I think women don't think about that as a potential career because they feel like they don't fit into that mold. And for me, I felt like, yeah, women could absolutely be advisors and we could do just as well at it. But I felt like all of these male advisors that I know that are successful, they have stay-at-home wives and they have someone who has their back at home so that they're able to work this much and be successful. And I'm not going to have a stay-at-home wife. I'm not going to have a stay-at-home husband. Like, I don't have someone... I'm not going to have that kind of support. I can't have this family life and this professional life because I'm not going to have this traditional role supporting me. Even when I got into the industry, I felt like, well, I don't know if I, you know, if I can achieve this level of success or whatever, because I'm not a guy and I don't have a wife at home. (laughs) But what I realized is being successful doesn't mean I need to make a whole bunch of money. I need to work a whole bunch of hours. I can create a career that is very rewarding, that is doing what I enjoy doing with the people that I enjoy doing it for. And I can make my own hours. I can charge my own rates. 
I don't have someone determining what I'm worth. I'm in control. I can make the career that I want in finance. And I don't think a lot of women realize that that's a possibility. I don't think they realize that they can start their own, they can work for themselves, which you can't just like start working for yourself one day. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it, but you don't have to be part of this giant financial institution. Like you can start there if you want, you can get trained and you can get experience and then you can go out and you could do whatever the hell you want. There's so many different roles that can be so aligned with you and your lifestyle and what you want. And I think that if more women knew that you could do what I do, I'm like, this is the coolest job ever. This is literally like, this is my dream job. It's, I can't even believe that I made, I like made up a job and I do it. And that (laughs) like, that is the weirdest thing to me, but you can do that. And there's just so many options. Um, And I think until women realize that there are actually careers that they would be interested in, we're not going to see, because you can't count on the financial institutions to attract women because they're not going to, they don't even know how to do that. They don't even know what the hell we want. Like they don't care about doing that either. They don't care. They have, I will say they have diversity initiatives lately. And being a woman in the industry, I get, I, I'm feeling very sought after lately. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm like, I know it's just because I'm a girl and you need girl advisors. Like there's a, right. there's a push for that. There's a total push for that going on in the industry. So they are trying to attract women. I don't know that they're going about it the right way and trying to attract women. Yeah. It, it, it sounds to me, and not that I've looked into this at that much, but it just sounds to me like they hired a you know a diversity consultant who said you need to hire this amount yeah. of people, and it's it's for numbers, it's for their investors to show them like look like we're really diverse, and they're not yeah. really changing the culture of banking or finance in order yeah. to attract women to want to do it, and instead yeah. just like going out and like you 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 do finance. And you're a woman, come work for us. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There there definitely has to be a cultural shift. And, you know, maybe maybe the industry will will figure that out. Maybe they won't, but there's still other areas that you can go into that aren't that super traditional old school way. Like you can work for smaller companies. You can there's just there's so many options. I, I think that if I were starting over again, I would maybe go about it in a different path, but there's just there's a lot of cool careers out there in finance. Yeah. If, if that's if 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 women are into that sort of thing, if you're into math and if you like spreadsheets and stuff, there's some really fun jobs out there that don't involve buying and selling stock all day. Like and I think too like your job is very people forward. It's, you know, the spreadsheets and and everything. Like yeah, you have to enjoy that. But I think that you also just enjoy interacting and building those relationships with yeah. your clients. And if you get to do a fun spreadsheet, sure, great. But it's a cherry on top. But the, <laughs> the people that working with people is gen- is really the fun part. That's that's the really rewarding part. The spreadsheets are just just the icing on the cake. <laughs> yeah, I know. Especially you know what you do in helping women who are newly single who maybe never have had to think about money before. Or, you know, now just their financial situation looks completely different and they're having yeah. to, you know, pedal really fast in order to keep their heads above water. That has to be so rewarding to to oh, know yeah. that like you are, you know, you were you were really helping these women continue to live the lives that they want to live. Yeah. 
no, it's, it feels, it feels really good. I've never done more meaningful work that, that makes me feel so fulfilled ever. I feel like I was made to do this. This is my perfect, this, it truly is my dream job. I'm so happy I'm for you. I, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, I'm so happy for you because you, not only are your own boss, but you're the CEO of the idea of having this perfect job. Like you said, you created it. It's yours. And there are people yeah. that, you know, do similar things to you, but you chose the the clientele that you wanted to work with and you really adapted to serving them in the best way possible. Yeah. Yeah. It's great to have the opportunity or the flexibility to choose how you're going to do your job. That's a privilege for sure. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, you were talking to about men in the industry having that support from their wives or or other domestic help that they hire. And that's such a huge issue, too, of this. We call it unpaid labor. We really shouldn't call it that. And that that work does fall to women disproportionately. Yeah. Yeah. and And if you're a single woman, it all falls to you if you're running your own household. All of it falls on you. There's a lot of work with that's involved with just being alive and running your life. There's so much work, not just your job, like just, just living in this house is it's like constant activity going on to just maintain, just to keep things from falling apart. Like, yeah, it's, it's, and and I'm married and I have two kids and, but it was the same. I mean, even when I, I was single for a long, long, long time. There's just so much crap that has to be done. And it's it's easier when you have someone to share those responsibilities with. It's not always easier because sometimes your partner might be someone who's not taking their share of the responsibilities, but that's a separate issue. But yes, <laughs> like when it's when it's just you, it's all on you. And you're like, okay, I have to manage my day-to-day really practical stuff, but I also have to manage like the bigger picture, longer term financial stuff. And that's like really abstract and overwhelming. So I'm just going to worry about paying my bills and keeping food in the fridge and the the really like basic stuff, but it's overwhelming. It's really overwhelming. So I totally feel for people who like are, don't want to tackle that bigger picture financial stuff because they're just busy with their life. Yeah. Like who right. has time to think showing about showing up for work in clean clothes. Like that's sometimes can, yes, that's enough. Like that's enough things to worry about. Sometimes that's too much in itself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just keeping clean clothes on is a struggle. Yeah. <laughs> Especially now. Especially now. Such great advice. Thank you so much for sharing. I just wanted to ask you one last question before we wrapped up. How do you help your clients reframe the way that they think about money? I think trying to separate the emotions from it is, that's what I try to do. Because there's just so many emotions because of stuff that happened in the past, because of other stuff that's happening right now that is related to money. I think looking at money as a neutral object, it's not good. It's not bad. It's just this thing that we have to deal with. We can use it in a way that makes our life easier. We could use it in a way that makes our life harder. I think when we look at it as this neutral object, we take away some of its power over us. And I think that helps you take some power back. It's like you are only as valuable as the value that I choose to put on you. And it's not the other way around. And I think money is a lot more approachable when you look at it that way. 
So that's how I encourage people to reframe it. It's like, just don't let money tell you what to do. It's just, it's just a <laughs> paper. It's just, it's not even paper. It's just some numbers on a, on a I know. spreadsheet somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's such great advice. And yeah, I, I think that's really what we all need to do. Money isn't a value. We assigned it value, but it's not the value of you as a person. And it's yeah. not, in the end, it's not the thing that matters the most. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for sharing your financial expertise. Where can we find you online? You can visit my website. It's trueworthfp.com. And I have some resources on there. I have some blogs and I have information about my services, but also there's buttons all over the place where you can schedule a free strategy session with me. And I really encourage people to take advantage of that. Even if it's even if it turns out it's not a good fit, I love to send people away with little quick, easy tips or suggestions on where to go or referrals or whatever. So like, please take advantage of it. And I'm super happy to be a resource. And then you can also follow me on on social media. So I'm on Instagram, it's at trueworthfp. And I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook, but I would say Instagram is where I'm most active. So people can keep in contact with me there too. Great. I will link to all that in the show notes. Any events coming up? Yes. Every month I'm starting to do a joint Instagram live with another professional. So I every month I pick a different professional, whether it's an, you know, an estate planning attorney or a divorce coach or a lender or whatever. And I, we chat about questions that I hear from clients or common things that I'm hearing about. We have these really great conversations that kind of meld together the financial planning and and then whatever area that their area of expertise is. So I'm doing that every month. And so I encourage people to check out Instagram, because I'm advertising those quite a bit. And then every couple of months, I'll probably be doing like a bigger webinar on a specific topic. So keep an eye out for that too. Perfect. That's so many resources. That's so helpful. There's just so many ways to work with you and to absorb your knowledge. Thank you so much again, Rachel. And thank we'll you see so you much next- for having me. You're so welcome. And we'll see you next time. Great. Thanks. <laughs>